Pedal up that hill It'll be worth the thrill If you got the power of will To bike and camp and chill You know what uh, dictated for me the gravel, uh, gravel ninja that drove most of that build was the handlebars. Yeah, surly moco locos, right? Yeah. Multi-position, all-terrain handlebar. Um, what's cool about that is I don't like it. I think it's cool. I mean, <laughs> but for my bikes, I don't ride it. Yeah, but I'm excited because on Al's Karate Monkey, we're ordering a surly moco loco bar to change it over because he likes it so much from his gravel bike. So, yeah, handlebars I'm excited about. And I think it's a it's a great way that you said that. Again, we we do have a difference in opinion here. We're not all riding the same setup and we're not all going after the same exact bike. We're all about hanging out and doing the same adventure, but we might all have a different way of doing that or a way that's going to be comfortable for us. So when we talk about handlebars, they're I've always been used to a flat bar. I've seen drop bars, never really was used to it. So therefore, by default, I wasn't really comfortable with it because I didn't know how it would feel. I didn't know if I would like it. So a lot of my bikes were always flat bar mountain bike. And then when I got this Salsa Fargo, it comes stock as a drop bar mountain bike with drop bars. And so I got a feel for it. And it actually... Again, they kind of have it flared out or they're like wider drop bars. So they're a little bit more comfortable. Um, and it, it came to me pretty quickly. I was actually surprised. And so I, I still liked it. It was comfortable. You have different hand positions. But ultimately, I've switched over to a flat bar that's curved. That's designed still for a drop bar bike. So it still lands in the same spot. And then what I did was I put these SQ Lab uh, inner bar in so they kind of work the same way as like hoods do on a drop bar and I have various hand positions now and I really like that I think you know there's this category they call alt bars right which is what we're talking about here is kind of like it's a hybrid maybe between the two or just a totally different style or the Jones loop bar that you see on a lot of bike packing bikes the Jones loop bar is probably like the original bike packer bar right the alt like bar, they're, yeah. they're, they're kind of one of the first ones that made that loop bar um but the problem with the Jones loop bar is it's not wide enough. You get this little like bar and the angle comes way back. You got this whole like cruiser kind of vibe going on. Um, certainly Moco Loco bar, like what I was running. Yeah, um, the angle is different. How you hold your hand. You have a different angle and you have more of that hood kind of I'm on the front out in an arrow position, right? Feels more solid than doing like this on a round bar, right? Um, so super cool. And with the rise of bike packing um, becoming a little bit more mainstream and more companies seeing, you know, an area to make money on it, you're seeing all these super cool setups of handlebars. The handlebar that you have at uh, Dallas, I can't remember what it's called, but it's designed to turn a road bike that's designed to have drop bars, or not just road bike, but any bike designed to have drop bars into a riser bar um, without having to change the stem and stuff. The bar comes out a little forward and comes back. I think it's called the uh, Curve Rimlaw bars. Yeah. There's those ones. So super fun. Um, our buddy John, he wanted a multi-position bar too, and he wanted yeah. inner bar ends. And so he ended up landing with um, a Surly Terminal bar, which is a bar that kind of comes forward, sort of like a mustache kind of handlebar. But then we ended up putting inner bar ends on it uh, right inside of his lever so he could get out on his front bars in a headwind or something like that. Um, uh, Mike, that reminded me too. Uh, how would you explain Gary's handlebars? So Gary has, uh, what does Gary have? He has outer bar ends, right? He has, so that Surly, it's like Surly Bridge Cup. I don't know if it's the stock handlebar that comes with it, but then yeah, he has like these really long. Gary has like, imagine 90s mountain bikes, like big, huge horn um you know Giant like six bars. inch six inch bar ends right on a very low rise handlebar so i said it before another one 
when I first met Gary, when he rolled up with, uh, and I saw his uh, bike under a bike rack, I said out loud, oh, sick. The guy's got like a 90s mountain bike. It turns out he's got a Surly Bridge Club. It just kind of is set up to look like a 90s mountain bike. So traditional like one inch riser handlebar, you know, not very wide with big old like six inch bar ends on the sides um, to get a multi position. Um, I often think about putting bar ends on my bike. Like. And when you think about the um, just before you go on, um, I just think back on that first ride you're talking about when we first rode with you guys. I still had those drop bars and Gary had that set up and you guys had the bars you're using. We were all doing the same ride and it just all looked a little different as far as our handlebar setup. So you definitely can go with any one. You might default with whatever you're more familiar with, but it is something that you can experiment with over time and, and swap some things and try a few different bars if you want to. On my bike, I have a custom um, Cromali handlebar made by Bitchin Bikes in Chico, California. Um, and it is a, it looks kind of like a board track racer dirt bike handlebar. It's like a pretty good size rise, big wide bar, a little bit of a flare back. Very, very, very comfortable. Um, now, I, I like that a little bit more. It's not a multi-position bar, but like most people already probably do with their bikes, Sometimes I'll just hold on to the bar in the center or I'll put my hands more on the brake levers. But what I really do when I'm really tired is I tend to like the bar end into the palm on the ends. Like I'm capping the end of the bike. Right. And so I think about it a lot. Like, hmm, if I was going to go on a really long tour, like like weeks at a time or like a long period of time, I'd probably get some little bar ends made. Right. And, and, and you know, all kinds of companies make really nice bar ends. Paul Components, California. Um, Another one is Hunter in California makes some cool ones. And so having a multi-position or changing your hands up on your bar is kind of what you need for a long period of time because just holding on to a mountain bike bar all day long, for me, um, it gets uncomfortable. So when I got my bar made, I put a little bit of a flare, on, a little bit of a sweat back on the handlebars, right? It feels a little bit more natural on your wrist, more comfortable. Uh, Tumbleweed. Tumbleweed makes a great handlebar that um, kind of sweeps back. That first ride that we met on, you had a drop bar. Me and I were on mountain bike bars. Uh, Maggie that came with us, she's on a tumbleweed bar. Yep. And then, you know, Luis was on a uh, a Surly Sunrise, like motocross, on the same bike right here as this bike. A, a, a huge riser bar with a crossbar. Super comfortable. Yeah. Imagine if you showed up on a mountain bike race with a drop bar on your mountain bike, like a downhill mountain bike race, right? You would just, you don't have good hand positions for downhill and... You know, people would be like, what the heck? If you showed up on a, you know, a really fast road race, right? And you had riser bars, you are not going to be as fast as those guys because you're hitting the wind. You know, you're you're all upright. So, but in a bike packing scene or adventure cycling scene, you can have any bar you want. Whatever's comfortable, you're going to do it on. You can have a beach cruiser bar on your mountain bike and go ride dirt roads like super comfortable. Yeah, when we did the uh, Yahats ride, um, most of that was uh, fairly easy pavement gravel. But then we ended up on the, the at the top of a very technical black diamond rated mountain bike trail. And that was when I was still on the drop bars. And that moment when I'm going, you know, we're in super downhill position going down some of that. You know, some of it was so technical that we're just like and we're fully loaded. So we might as well get off the bike and walk around. But when there was moments where you're trying to do it, that's when I noticed, OK, um, not only does it feel a little sketchy trying to do this with a drop bar, but you almost like don't have the same kind of leverage. And if I'm up on the hoods, my hands could kind of just slip off. And I've liked my you know flat bar setup now. It's just it did add a lot more confidence when I am, you know, this bike I might be touring a lot with. But then there's times when I am taking it out just to the mountain bike trails and riding around. And I want it to be fun for that, too. Like, I really want to have a drop bar. My road bike or my gravel bike has a drop bar, right? I really want to have it, but I'm constantly talking myself into having it. Like, just earlier today, I was riding, I rode it over to the store. And I was thinking, I don't know, how would this bike feel if I just put a mountain bike riser on it? Yeah, I feel pretty cool. Be fast still. It's faster than my mountain bike. You know, I, but. I want to be fast. I want to be aerodynamic, right? 
And part of me wants my bike to look like a gravel or a road bike, right? So you have all these things to figure out. Why do I want this? Why do I want that? But in the, the day, more comfortable, you're going to have more fun. You're going to you're going to go further, longer, and not be so yeah. beat up at the end of the day. I do I do know when I rode the uh, Tour de France, I rode that Century, and I showed up with the local bars. Um, people thought, you know, it was like a cow at a new gate. They just didn't know yeah. what to think about that thing. <laughs> You know, it's like, what are you, we're riding a hundred miles. What do you got those on there? Yeah, I yeah. Have hand positions. You know, I feel comfortable with this thing. So that's so funny because like a week or two before we went and did our uh, wild man weekend ride. The first weekend went Dallas yeah. venture cycling, uh, bike travel weekend. And it just poured on us. We got soaking wet. Right. And then here we are at the tour to tour to Franz and powers century ride. And Al's on a steel frame, Moco Loco bar, you know, a taller stem stack and 700 by 42s and all these road biker people like full kits are like, you're not going to, he's in mountain biker shorts and like a button <laughs> button up, you know, plaid or something. They're like, where's your road bike at? It's like, I'm on my road bike. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get like full Gore-Tex on. He's like rain. It's barely raining. Last weekend, I almost drowned. <laughs> and then goes out and rides a hundred and what was it? A little bit over a hundred, right? Yeah, about 102. 102 miles with elevation in the mountains with a bunch of road bikers. And and actually, you know, small percentage did the 102. And Al was not in the back. He was in the front pack. So good people, good riders out there. Riding what he was comfortable I, on. Yep. Yeah. He said he died out there, but I never saw it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that kind of covers some of our thoughts on handlebars. And and I think what we've concluded is all types of bars can work. It does depend really on what you're comfortable with. You might start with what you're most familiar with. But over time, you might learn that something's even more comfortable. And that kind of takes getting out there and really doing some of these adventures to see how comfortable you are on it. I know I've had some buddies tell me that they tried some setup and they went on some rides testing it out and they noticed that their hands are going numb or something because of the hand positions. And that right there might be a red flag that you need to change some things, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, to add to that, for the beginner that is just looking to get into bike camping, you can never go wrong with just a standard riser or flat bar, not a drop bar. You're going to be fast. You're going to be comfortable. You can put bar ends on it. You can have multiple positions. And then you can work into having a drop bar if you want that in the future. Right. Um, but as a seasoned person, you're probably going to lean towards whatever kind of bike riding you're doing. If you're the road guy that wants to go bike touring or bikepacking, you're probably going to lean towards a drop bar, a bike camping or bike touring bike. Right. If you're the mountain biker that wants to go do it, you're probably going to lean into a riser bar. Yep. If, uh, if you come out and ride with us, if I'm riding something that you want to look at, get on the bike and ride it. You know, um, we don't have any problem with that because some things you can't describe, you have to feel. You know, just, hey, Al, give me the bike. Ride a mile or two with it. You know, tell me what you think. It may special, not be right for you. Huh? Special breeder person it takes to ride a Moco Loco bar. Mostly Loco. Yeah, Loco, for sure. It's comfortable. So when we, when we talk about handlebars, um, I guess we can lead into you know, the brakes, the brakes that you'd be using on, yeah. on those handlebars. Um, you know, so there is obviously with a different bar type, you're going to have different levers and, and ways you access brakes. Um, but when it comes to the types of brakes, we have hydraulic or mechanical. And I think the way I've come to understand it is uh, mechanical is a little bit more old school and easier to maintenance out in the field if something goes wrong, while hydraulic um, a lot of people do like using it, but if you do have a failure out in the field, it might be a little bit more of an issue. So hydraulic versus mechanical, that's always the argument, right? What do I want? Bike camping. I guess this is a predominantly uh, that argument comes up on disc brakes. Yeah. So disc brakes, right? Rim brakes versus disc brakes. Disc brakes work better. Okay. My gravel bike has cantilever brakes, rim brakes. The oldest, you know, an older version of rim brakes, cantilever brakes, right? Um, I just like it. I don't know. It's cool. Um, but disc brakes work better. Okay. So V brakes are fine. 
cantilever brakes are fine. If it's raining, they're going to make some noise. They're not going to stop as good. You're still going to go everywhere you're going to go. Disc brakes, mechanical or hydraulic. Um, so what do I want in the situation I'm riding? Mechanical brakes, people that's like are mechanical brake people will say, I want a mechanical brake because I can fix it when I'm out there riding. Hydraulic brake people are like, I want to break that. Works really good, right? Just stop it, right? My opinion as a bike mechanic, mechanical people want the brake to work on because they're going to have to work on it. Cables are always problems on bikes. Cables and housing wear out, right? Lots of moving parts. The lever has a bunch of moving parts. The caliper has moving parts. Something is eventually going to break. Now, I have bikes with mechanical disc brakes that have had the same mechanical disc brake on it for years. Works just fine, right? I would totally take them bike packing. I'm doing it this weekend. Okay. Um, my full time bike packing bike, the one that I go to when I go bike packing, has hydraulic brakes because I want to haul ass down hills and have good brakes to stop. Now, hydraulic brakes very rarely have problems. Contain system, you know, if you had something major happen, like a wild crash and you break a hose, that's crazy, but anything's going to break in a crash. So, mechanical versus hydraulic. I personally would choose hydraulic any day. Now, if I was going to go bike pack across Africa, you know, that's another argument people bring up. I'm going to go do South America. You know how much bike shops are in South America? Like, there is bike shops in South America, and they have real stuff like we have here. It's like they have, like, some, you know, Flintstone bikes or something. They have real-time bikes. So you could probably get your bike fixed. Yeah. So for me, I, I have uh, the weight. When I'm bike camping, I, I have hydraulic brakes on the Karate Monkey. So I feel real comfortable that, that I have the stopping power I need with that extra weight. Uh, and I went with the Straggler, which is my Gravel Ninja, the, the gravel bike. I went with mechanical brakes. And that was predominantly uh, just a price point for me. Um, I'm not disappointed in them at all. They stop that, you know, it feels different, but the entire bike feels different. Uh, so, but it was a, a, it was a price decision. So that, that's why I went, I'm, I'm riding two different systems. Yeah. And a tip for people on mechanical brakes being disc brakes or V brake linear pull or cantilevers, putting a good compressionless brake housing and good cable, uh, is night and day difference. You lose so much braking power in the cable and housing that if you put good stuff on there, you're going to firm that brake up and it's going to feel really nice. I think another thing worth bringing up is usually when you're bike packing and you have this fully loaded setup and you're carrying more weight, you would usually go with a bigger rotor size as well, right? So, you know what? I've kind of really realized that all my bikes tend to have a 180 millimeter rotor. You know, when you get in some like downhill bike situations, they have like the two, 200 or 203 motors. And then they basically make a 180 rotor, like almost on all mountain bike situations. And then years before, most mountain bikes had like a 160, something like that. But a 160 to 180 is just about every single bike. Now, my bike packing bike, I have 180 millimeter rotors front and rear. Um, stops just fine. I got no issues with stopping. Um, and, and again, you're on a bicycle. To a certain point, you're just going to lock your tire up and be skidding. Okay, you have a tire you're trying to stop on loose gravel or whatever so you can have the strongest brakes in the world and you hit the brake um and you're just going to skid and then that's the end of it i think it's more about can i have a brake that i can feather for a long time i can ride it down a hill for a long time so going with like a two piston versus a one piston disc brake basically means you have two pistons on each side pushing so you have more power but you also have a bigger brake pad on both sides so you have more stopping surface, so you can ride it a lot longer. You can, you know, you can have more brake life. My bike came stock 160, then upgraded to 180 when I was changing things. And just with that little bit of difference, you just have a little bit more surface area that the brake pad can come in contact with. You're trying to stop something, you know, this size versus smaller. So you're having more leverage on your wheel. You have your whole wheel and then you have your rotor, right? And so if you have this little tiny small thing, you're trying to stop, stop this little small thing that also is attached to this big thing. Well, a bigger rotor is a little easier to stop. Now, um, combination of a bigger rotor with a dual piston hydraulic brake, I mean, you just can't beat that. It's, it's super strong. Um, but when you have bigger rotors, they make a lot more noise. They warp a little bit more down downhills. So 
common thing with disc brakes is my, they make a little noise. Yeah, your rotors get out of true occasionally. You know, yeah. so um, long braking down hills. When you drag your brake down long hills, when you go on the pedal, like you come down a big hill, brake, 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 and then all of a sudden you're on a flat. Everyone's brakes is just shing, 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 making all kinds of noise because they've all been, you know, hot as heck for the last miles. They've been abused. Yeah. You can brand yourself with that rotor if you're a true cyclist. I'll change the topic here a little bit over to gearing. Um, I think right now we're all on one by gearing, which in my mind, when I've finally came to one by gearing, you know, I grew up riding bikes where I think usually the everyday bikes kind of have like a three by, um, and you're used to like that kind of having to shift. Okay. The gears on one side of your handlebar with the grips and then shifting with the other. And then I remember learning also like making sure you're not crossing the chain and it kind of started to feel like a lot of things you had to keep track of. So when I started seeing these one by drivetrains and the gearing, I just like the simplicity of it. I like just having all I need to do is go up or down, you know, and, and it's, you know, easier to think about easier maintenance. Um, and then there might be, you know, some reasons why you might go two by on like a gravel bike or things like that, depending on the type of riding you're doing. But um, we've all kind of um, gravitated towards this one by system. And that's even what we've kind of recommended on some of these other bike builds. So I know, Mike, you can probably speak to like the reasoning behind that. I personally like a one by because it's simpler. It's simple. You just put it in the gear that works. Right. There's no thinking about what combination of gears I'm in. Um, I like the idea that there's now only one derailleur. There's only one shifter. There's only one, you know, derailleur cable and housing. You have less stuff to maintain. You have less stuff to work with. Um, but again, my bike, my bike packing bike tends to lean a little bit more towards the climbing side of gear ratio yeah. versus going really fast. Now on my road bike, it's like perfect for flat and fast. But it's a little bit more work to go uphill, right? So I'm considering on my road bike either going down a chain ring size to make the bike a little slower but easier to go uphill or go to a two-by drivetrain to where I can have the best of everything. I could have both worlds, right? I think that as a cycle tourist, it depends on the situation. I think that the situation that we're all in right now as one-by drivetrain owners is availability. After the pandemic, Chains have just been in and out of stock constantly. Cassettes in and out of stock constantly. The chains are more expensive on tw- on a on a one by twelve. The cassettes are more expensive on a one by twelve. So you're going to pay a little bit to have that um, convenience of super simple, really low gears. Now during all this pandemic stuff with uh, you know manufacturing problems, all the three by nine people and three by ten people they ain't got no problems. Right. Like just riding around, no, no chain issue at all. You know, so uh, I think it just depends on what you want to do. Our friend Patty, I can't wait for him to watch this part because we talk about it all the time. <laughs> I'm a one by 12 guy and he's a three by like 10, three by 10 kind of person. He's like, oh, I got a chain problem. Or I need to do something. I'm always like, just put one by 12 on that thing and be done with it. Right. So uh, but it just depends on where you ride. For us, it's like this and like this uphills downhills uphills downhill that's all it is so one by 12 is fine because when i'm going downhill i'm coasting when i'm going uphill i'm in low gear i might as well have a single speed now if i live somewhere where it was more flat a one by 12 might not be enough gear uh range for you you know you might top out sooner so depends on what you ride and and what you want to do yeah you have any thoughts on that al yeah i'll say this i think oh patty patty's more likely to have a gear that he can spin no matter what he comes to but i don't have to think about where i'm at I mean, uh, yeah. uh, I think you've done that to me a few times. Like, what gear, gear are you in? I said, I don't know. You know, yeah. I have to, to you know, look down and see where I'm at because I don't have an indicator telling me where I'm at. The only thing uh, I notice sometimes is I go to push on my lever and there ain't no more push. Yeah, uh, that, 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 that's called the bad gear. Yeah. <laughs> the, the gear you need to get to but you don't have on the bike. Yep. <laughs> I have a few of those sometimes uh, when I'm packed heavy or a, a tired, but yeah. Uh, that bad gear is like, but in today's, in today's modern, uh, in this day and age, bicycle industry, a one by 12 is the standard. 
SRAM and Shimano always made like, you know, the good stuff. And now each SRAM and Shimano still make a bunch of levels of one by 12. And then you have like, um, like box components, for example, which is making like one by nines and one by tens that still have the big, huge chain rings. You still have the, or the big, huge cogs. You still have a big gear range in less gears. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm really depending on three of my gears out of the 12 speed, my low and my high and something in the middle for, you know, flat riding and stuff. So other advantage that one by gives you, I don't take advantage of it. I think Dallas, you do is that frees up your whole left hand, right? Or that dropper post. And uh, there's yeah. some times um, we've hit some technical stuff that, boy, I wish I had a dropper post. I've never ridden one, but that seats in my way, you know? So, yeah. so um, if you have a dropper, they make, you have either a one by system or you have a two by system or three by. If you want a really nice, clean dropper lever, you have a one by 12 or a one by system. You have a shifter for your shifting and a, and a button on the same on your opposite thumb for your dropper. If you have a shifter down there, you have this like little ugly top dropper lever with a noodle. It's always just uglier. It doesn't look as good. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's something I should probably bring up to his dropper posts because I think I am the only one that uses them. And I know Mike does have an opinion on dropper posts for bikepacking. Me personally, I use the PNW Coast dropper post and it has um, some suspension in it. So you can firm it up really well. And so it's more like the thing is, is you probably wouldn't really be sitting on the saddle as much when you're doing something really bumpy. You're probably going to stand or, uh, you know, like a typical mountain bike situation. But if you were sitting on it and doing gravel, you could kind of have it to a certain firmness where it might, you know, provide some cushion there. Um, but I think that part is like if I got another driver post, I might not even care as much about that. I might not even want it. Um, really, I think what I like about the dropper post is just being able to instantly move my seat to any um, height that I want. If I want to just cram it all the way down really quick and get it out of the way and be way out of my way when I'm doing some downhill stuff, I have really liked that. And then I can bring it back up. Um, and if I'm doing some super downhill stuff, I do like getting my seat quickly out of the way. That's probably the main thing um, I like about a dropper post. But when you do that, it is going to affect uh, your bikepacking setup because now you can't necessarily put as big of a saddle bag um, back there because it's going to cram it into your tire. So you have to change your setup. I'm using a rear rack setup with mini microwave paneer bags, mainly because of that. If I didn't have a dropper post, I might go with a bigger saddle bag, but it does depend on what I'm trying to pack as well. So the dropper post versus the rigid post, right? So dropper post is really nice for that downhill mountain bike action. Again, I'm speaking on my opinion only because this is going to get me a bunch of flack on comments. You will. But um, in my opinion, in an adventure bike, I like rigid posts. I think a dropper post has way too much maintenance involved to take out there into, you know, the vast unknown wild. It's got way too much moving parts that are that need to be rebuilt all the time. It adds more weight, more stuff going on, extra lever on your bars, extra whatever. OK, but I run a bike packing tail bag. Now they make little deals that you can like hook on the stanchion of the seat post. You can hook your bike packing bag around that limits the dropper by like two inches or something. Um, yeah, great. But your bag's probably gonna run into your tire way before that, especially a suspension bike. When you hit a bump and your tire comes up, you're going to rub your tire in your bag all the time. So you got to use your dropper, but you also wore out your $200 tail bag because you kept running your tire into it. Right. Me personally, it doesn't affect me. If I was mountain biking, yes, I have a dropper post all day, right? Cause I'm super technical hitting jumps. I want that seat out of the way, just like on a BMX bike. I want it out of the way. Not bothering me, but I still got something to land on if in case I need it. Um, for my bike, bike packing, the biggest jump I'm hitting is like a foot tall. So I do on downhills squeeze my seat. I'll squeeze my legs down on my seat sometimes to stay more kind of locked in. And I actually think it helps me a lot. I've never one time had the saddle get in my way. Now, sometimes I'd like to push it down when I get on my bike. I do not have a lot of technical skills and technical riding. And as Michael said earlier, he has seen me go over the handlebars on more than one occasion. It's because so you didn't I, have a dropper post. Because I didn't have a dropper post. I sit up too high. I, my weight's too far forward. 
you know, if I had to drop her post and could get my butt closer to the back seat, then it would have probably been what I needed to keep me on the bike, you know. Um, so I have not ever ridden a dropper post, but they intrigue me because going over the handlebars uh, is not what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think when somebody's first starting out, especially if they're looking for something budget friendly, you might find a bike that comes stock with a dropper post. It w- It's also an easy upgrade to make when you do want to add one. So it's not like a big deal. They're usually a couple hundred bucks for like a basic one. Um, so it kind of just depends on kind of riding you're doing if if that is an interest to you. But it, it it's not necessary. But once you have it, you might like it. I mean, I've had the experience of using it and then riding for a little bit when I didn't have it working and I swapped back to rigid because it needed maintenance. Um, and I definitely noticed a difference when I was doing downhill stuff just because I was so much in the habit of it. So it, it kind of depends. I, I'm more familiar with it at this point. If I didn't have one, I'd probably make it work and get used to it over time. So it, it doesn't, um, it's not a big deal either way. It's not set in stone. You start somewhere and just start playing with it and trying stuff out. And over time, you'll probably end up changing some things. So the next topic, um, pedals. I think if you're bike packing, it's probably, and you're, especially if you're just starting out and getting into this, and if you're coming from the mountain bike direction, you're going to almost always just want to start with flats. But we've seen a lot of people that will use clipless. They'll clip into their pedals. Um, some will argue that it's more efficient um, for racing and just over time being more consistent in your pedal strokes. Um, there might be people that are doing technical trails and they want to stay attached to their pedals. But I think all of us have tried that out. And it can definitely be really sketchy being attached to your bike in a lot of these situations. So um, I think we've all probably tried clipless pedals. Um, We kind of have those as an option. But having flat pedals where you can easily bail and get away from your bike when you need to, I think that does add to this level of comfort and ease that we kind of like with our setups. Yeah. And adventure cycling inside of it for me, I have my mountain bike, which are my flatless pedals. Flatless. <laughs> uh, flatless. I ride flat pedals. Um, I'm more comfortable on them. I like the idea that I have a pair of shoes that I could ride my bike. I can also be in the camp. I can also hike. Anything I want to do is on that one pair of shoes, and I can carry you know a pair of sandals or something with me. I have my road bike, which I'm like right on the verge right now of. It has clipless pedals right now. I'm clipping in with my shoes. But I'm kind of like, mm, I don't really think I want it, right? Um, people, you can go to the end of the earth arguing it online, clipless versus flats. But in my opinion, clipless is going to give you a very small advantage at peak performance. And I'm talking like in a full-on road sprint, right? Uh, adventure cycling, I don't really think it matters. But don't do that. I think if you like it, and you feel like you pedal better with clipless pedals, you're probably going to pedal better because you're mentally telling yourself, I'm better. Um, I grew up riding BMX bikes, so having me clipped into the bike seems kind of dumb. Like, when all shit hits the fan, I want to, like, you know, hit the eject button and get my ass off this bike so it can do whatever the hell it's going to do, and I can do my thing. But it uh lots of options right so in flat pedals big giant flats nice aluminum ones nice spikes on them so you're stuck you you have good traction good bearings and then they make clipless pedals that are super nice shimano spds crank brothers um i think in an adventure situation if you're going to get clipless pedals you would get a clipless pedal with a platform around it on my road bike i have uh crank brother mallet dhs so they're like an egg beater clip in the pedal in the middle, but with an aluminum platform. And sometimes I unclip and just put my feet on them because maybe I feel like I want to have my foot at a different position. Or um, you're riding through something like we've taken our gravel bikes like up to Whiskey Run Trails. And maybe you're going through something kind of like slow speed and technical and I don't want to be clipped in um, so I can put my foot down if I have to or something, right? So you have lots of options. 
in both pedals. But uh, it just comes down to what you like, you know? Do you want to be clipped in? Do you feel like it makes you better? If you feel like it makes you better, it probably does. When I tried going from, I always rode flats. And so, again, when we're talking about experimenting and playing with things, I was curious what it felt like riding clips. So I tried clipless pedals, uh, got the clip-in shoes. I I could still see myself using it, especially if I'm doing more of a road ride or something where um, I don't feel as sketched out using it. And I was actually surprised at how fast I was able to get it mentally because you you kind of have to think a little bit more because now you're attached to the bike and, oh, I'm coming to a red light. I need to remember to undo and yeah, unclip and put my foot down. And I've heard stories and, you know, seen some people where they forget to do that and they fall. I was surprised that I never actually, as I was learning how to do it, I never once fell. I kept being freaked out, but I just kept reminding myself, unclip, unclip, unclip. And it actually becomes pretty easy. But in a split second, when you're out doing some crazy adventure ride, like you're not always going to, in a split second, you could be needing to bail. And just because of the angle or the last minuteness of it, um, you're still attached to your bike. And, or if you slid out, you didn't realize like the road was icy or something like that's going to happen so fast. I couldn't imagine if you're attached to your bike in that scenario. If you're bikepacking or something, the amount of times you get off your bike, right? Uh, so if you have a flat shoe, you can ride in just any regular shoe you want or buy like a, you know, flat pedal design shoe, like a 510 or something, and you can hike around. Now in a clipless pedal shoe, typically on a road bike, you would have a no tread at all, right? It's a very aerodynamic design just for locking in, not walking around. But they make mountain bike clipless shoes that have tread so you can walk around and do stuff. So as an adventure cyclist, how many times are you going to get off the bike and do some kind of hike a bike or walk around and check something out? But what about going into stores? Do you want to walk into the store like tick, 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 you know, with metal cleats? So you'd probably lean more towards like a mountain bike style clipless shoe so you could walk into the store or whatever. Um, lots of options. But uh, on a ride the other day, me and Al and another guy went on a ride and I had my road bike and I was clipped in and we we're bombing down in this hill and it turns into gravel. Yeah. And there's a gate you gotta go around. And I got on the brakes on the road bike and, and I'm so used to my mountain bike that like I got bigger tires or tread. They don't just lock up and slide. And I slid on the gravel bike and i think kind of because i was clipped in i I, I, I held it i had no choice but to like slide and get off the brakes and go around the gate and on my mountain bike at a certain point maybe i would have thought oh shit i'm gonna crash and i would have like tried to put a foot down or something right or maybe it wouldn't even happen because of the mountain bike tires but i made it but me personally bike mechanic talking about it giving my opinion on it i have pedals i have clipless pedals on my road bike that i'm at the point where like do i really want them to really not want them, yep. I'm going to put flats on it and try it. And if I like it with flats, that's the way it's going to stay. Yeah, the um, the other thing I was going to add there is when you do the clipless, you then need shoes that will match that, um, that have, you know, the SPD is usually the ones with the mountain bike style clips. Um, but you need shoes specifically, yeah, specifically for that. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember when we did the Eden Ridge ride, I was I went out there on hiking with hiking boots and I was riding with with hike my waterproof Gore-Tex hiking boots because I actually didn't bring um, I might have brought some camp slippers, but I, I was thinking about the ride and not knowing all the conditions and the weather. And so I was like and, and knowing that we might have some hike a bike. I was like, I'm just I have flat pedals. I've ridden with these waterproof hiking boots before and I was totally comfortable did that whole ride with those so there's things like that where you can when you have flats you might be surprised when you're doing rides like these the types of shoes that you could still ride a bike in you know well al i've seen al riding his you know water shoes on his flat pedals because we had so much creek crossings there's no point in just changing your shoes a hundred times and our friend kenny you know did on sand did a whole bike pack and trip on in sandals you know me personally would not recommend that but you know I would have lost like all my toes. Yeah, he was hike a biking through thorn bushes and all that. I, yeah, yeah. I, that's the thing is you see stuff like that, 
you know, Kenny did the ride with us. He's on like a more gravel leaning kind of bike. He's wearing sandals and he still did everything with us. And so I see stuff like that and I'm like, man, maybe I should try some sandals sometime. Like I was just surprised at how capable he still was. So like, you know, I'm not usually someone to wear sandals, but when I saw everything he was doing, I'm like, okay, that's actually pretty cool that he, he was able to, he was able to tag along. I like the idea of like super minimalist, like I can have the sandals and hardly nothing with me and da da da. Yeah, that's great. But I don't know. I just don't feel safe not Same. wearing shoes on my bike, you know, yeah. but I carry sandals with me. And if I wanted to ride my bike from the campsite to like the bathroom or something, you know, yeah, I could just get on my sandals on flat pedals. Right. But that also being said, if you're going to use your bike just in the campground to go to somewhere, you can ride your clipless pedals with your shoes, your flat pedal, you know, flat shoes or sandals. So for, for me, clipless, I, I have a, my trainer I ride uh, is SPD and I have a, a SPD shoes for it. Uh, but, you know, it's doesn't go anywhere other than my shop. I just sit there and spin. Um, and I have those and I ride those because I didn't want to buy another set of flats. I've ridden in. Uh, my water shoes. I've ridden in you know, my my sliders because I showed up without my my cycling shoes one time. I rode with them anyway, and did it affect my performance? Yeah, I don't recommend it. I came back with all my toes. Thank goodness, you know. If I would have wrecked, it'd been ugly. But for the flats for me is such a big surface that I can move my foot right, left, forward, backwards as I need to to get comfortable. And there's some times where, um, you know, I might be a I need to go toe in to, to use the muscles in my legs a little different. Um, I'm maybe dehydrated and starting to cramp that by moving my foot on that pedal uses the muscles different. It gives me a, uh, the opportunity to ride through some of that. You know, yeah. or, Here's my question to the bike industry or the people that make up the bike rules is if you need multi positions on your handlebars, why don't you need multi position on your pedal? Yeah, because I like to move my foot around once yeah. in a while. You know, it's not like I leave my foot all cocked sideways and pedal all weird. No, I pedal with my feet straight, but I like to have my feet, you know, moving around. Now, when you get a clipless pedal, there's a little tiny bit of float. You have a little bit of movement in your pedal, but not like having a flat pedal. Yeah. And not to mention, like, don't you want to just jump on your bike from your house, right? You're just like, oh, shit, I want to go to the store real quick and run out of your bike and go to the store. Or go to your friend's house or like ride it to the dinner or show or something like, but I got to get all in my bike clothes, right? And go over there. No, I'm going to wear my regular shoes and just go ride to work or something. It, it, it is surprising to me uh, um, how fast you learn not to let that flat pedal with all those little spikes kind of uh, rake down the back of your calf uh, when you step on the bike. Uh, you might as well just strip naked, run through blackberries or something, because it's going to eat you yeah. alive. Well, when you buy flat pedals, you know you can get some mountain bike pedals or some BMX pedals that have like some real big spikes because they're yeah. you know they're trying to lock the person on the bike as best as possible. Get a good platform. Uh, people might be scared of that. New people, you can get flat pedals that don't create don't have crazy spikes. You yeah. can get spikes that are shorter. Um, I have ground down spikes for people in the bike shop because maybe it has a spike that's not. Um, one that can be replaceable, you'll get, it's not like what they think, but if you're like a trick person, if you're like a BMX rider, I still have scars on my shins that I'll have until the day I die from flat, from flat pedals. Right. Um, but just like anything else, you get used to it, you know? Yeah. I think that can become an issue when you're hike a biking, you really have to look at where your pedal is pushing your bike. Sometimes, sometimes I'll intentionally try to get behind my pedal so that it can't whack me in the calf. But here's another thing too. think about, I didn't even think about this till you're talking about that. Um, I usually use my bike as a part of my shelter. I flip my bike upside down and I run my tarp up and over. Now I have to always think about my pedals because I don't want to rip my tarp, pulling my tarp over my bike with my pedals. So I ride a flat pedal. I ride one with larger spikes. And um, I have to do that extra thing. Simple as putting my tarp over my bike. I got to move my pedals in a way that I'm not going to catch my tarp on my pedals. Yeah. So the other thing we can talk about is um, grips and saddles. I, I know we all kind of like the Brooks saddles. That's actually 
Um, one that's pretty common where they do the leather saddles, but they also do make some vegan uh, rubber saddles. Um, so those ones are pretty common on uh, touring setups. Um, I'm all, I'm currently using an Ergon saddle that's um, kind of similar in that it has some like flow and cushioning for mountain bike touring. Um, so yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on kind of saddle recommendations, grip recommendations? I think right now I'm using some PNW uh, loam grips that I really like, um, but I've tried uh, Ergon grips as well and. You know, that's something that's easy to change and have fun with because grips aren't super expensive. You can get some grips that have kind of like a horn on the side or like a, in, a bar end on them uh, to get some more support. You can get some that are flared on the palms for more comfort. Uh, you could change up the colors just to have fun with it. So grips, uh, you know, saddles are a little bit more expensive and you want something that's really going to be comfortable um, for long distances and sitting on it. So that's kind of, you know, my first thoughts. I think a thing to think about in grips would be um, having lock-on grips, right? Or a grip that's really secure. So if you do get caught up in the rain, it's not going to twist on you. And then you decide if you're a person that wears gloves or doesn't wear gloves. Me, I don't like wearing gloves. So I ride a ESI silicone foam grip, which is a kind of like modern version of a foam grip. And... I like them because they make them in different thicknesses and different widths. So on my bike, I have them in like the medium thickness in, a, in the extra large width. So I have a lot of like hand position on my handlebar. So I can ride it like 800 or 750 or something, right? Um, and it's real cushioned and soft, but they have a really good tight fit to the handlebar. So water, I mean, I've ridden them in, you know, all day long storm. And the grips never move because they're so sealed tight to the handlebars. Now, if I didn't have that, I would recommend a lock-on grip because you can tighten the grips down. They won't turn. And then deciding on how it is. For a person that doesn't ride with gloves, I would not. I would get a very big ridged, soft grip, rubber grip. Not a very fine, hard grip because that's just going to kind of like tear into your hand all day, right? And, and, and make your hand all rough. Ergonomic grips. Al likes ergonomic grip on his bike because it gives you more. You're not squeezing a round bar. You're more putting the palm of your hand on something that's, you know, like that. For me, I like to get a little bit more rowdy than Al gets. So I want to be fully holding on to my handlebar, but I also pay for that in comfort. At the end of the day, when I'm super tired climbing a hill, yeah, sure. Ergonomic grips, freaking bar ends, right? I'll be all nice. They're easy. It's like tires. Try it for a while. If it works, it's great. You can keep going. Try something else. Yep. If you're going to build like a complete custom bike and you're going for kind of a color theme, then tons of companies make, you know, color grips. Um, here in the bike shop, I like to carry American-made stuff if I can. So I carry ESI. I carry like a, a lot of ODI, Colt, endless options on grips for saddles. I like a Brooks B17 leather saddle. People might say, oh, they're really hard and uncomfortable until they break in. They're not that bad. They break in pretty fast and they just break in for you and they're always comfortable. They are heavier than a normal saddle. I probably wouldn't run it on like a, uh, on a mountain bike, something like that, because of the just, it's a lot heavier, it's bulkier. Um, the chance of crashing and my saddle hitting the ground on a mountain bike is more common. And saddles are expensive if you go to Brooks. But, um, the Brooks, in my opinion, my professional opinion is whatever saddle works for you, do it because everybody's butt is different. Everybody's downstairs area is different. And if the saddle works for you, who cares? If it's what works for you and you can ride your bike all day without getting saddle sores or something like that, use it. I went to the Brooks saddle as well. Um, I have always traditionally, I, whatever saddle came with the bike I purchased, I mean, that's the dumbest way I can think of, of choosing a saddle, but that's what usually I've always rode. You know, uh, I bought this bike, that's the saddle that came with it, and, you know, my butt's just got to get used to it. So, finally, I have my option of five or six different saddles because that's how many bikes I have, and I'm swapping one saddle from, from here, this bike to that bike. Okay, what about this bike? And you finally convinced me to try this Brooks saddle. I know they're expensive, and... uh it actually simplified my life because I, I can wear 
anything. Um, when I ride, I just wear a, a straight running compression short underneath my cycling shorts, no yeah. pad. And the Brooks saddle is, uh, had zero problems. Um, other than me worrying if it's going to rain, what's it going to do in the rain? So a Brooks leather saddle kind of has a little bit of suspension in the saddle. Yeah. Saddle soft, right? So when you have a Brooks saddle, you tend to not, most people don't have to wear a chamois or, or a pad, um, padded short because the, the saddle is the pad, right? Yep. And so now in a bike camping situation, now I can wear whatever I want down there. I can wear my camp pants the first half of the morning because it's cold and I have to really care versus I specifically have to ride in this short all the time, right? If the chamois or the synthetic pad, natural pad, contoured pad, all these different very high-tech pads, is, it's a different layer between you and the saddle, your pressure point, and it allows something else to bunch up and then irritate you in that saddle process. Um, I'm not proposing riding naked, but you know, get down as close as you can, removing as many irritants as you can between you and the saddle. And that's you know your main contact point to the bike between your hands, your pedals for your feet, and that saddle. And so that's the only place you're touching. Yeah. So you have to make sure that that's right for you. At some point, we'll go over clothing and all that in one of these starter pack episodes. So that'll be one where we can go more in depth on various um, options in that regard. I know that I I first when I was doing a lot of this went down the route of wearing chamois and pads and and just thinking you know if i'm all day on the bike i almost have to do that or i'm going to be sore and over time i have realized that if you do have the right saddle um you can literally wear whatever you could just be wearing your work pants and riding around town and yeah as long as your saddle is comfortable i've been surprised at how much you actually don't need that and it can sometimes cause uh, more irritation than not. It really depends on what you're doing. But yeah, like Mike said, when you're doing, you know, a multi-day trip, now you, that means you have to pack multiple um, padded shorts if you're going that route. And then, you know, maybe you're changing them out and then maybe it is causing you some irritation and stuff. So there is some of the logistics that we can get into when it comes to clothing um, in one of the other episodes as well. So the last item we should talk about uh, in this category would be mounting options. And this will lead into the next starter pack episode. Uh, for the next starter pack episode, we're going to go into all the bikepacking bags and racks that you would put on your bikepacking bike. And so when you're looking at that bike, whether it's the bike you already have or a bike that you're going to get, that's the main thing you need to start looking at is what are the mounting options? Do I have all the spots where I could attach a rack, what kind of rack would I need? Um, if I put a frame bag on this bike, does it, do I want it to bolt on? Do I want to just use straps? Um, it really comes down to what the bike allows you to do. Um, and so you might pick the bike based on what you're wanting to do with bags. Or again, you might already have a bike and you just have to figure out what you can attach to it and then just look in that direction as far as uh, the rack that'll meet that need. And I think to know right off the bat that you can go bike packing and carry everything you want on any bike. If you don't have a single mounting point on the bike, there's some kind of bag that you can put on the bike. So, you know, most bike frames are going to have, um, start off with water bottle cage mounts, right? One and two water bottle cage mounts inside the triangle. And sometimes they'll have it on the bottom of the down tube. Right. So you can carry your your extra water on the lowest part of your bike, kind of out of the way from everything. Um, if your bike does not have water bottle cage mounts, you can do some sort of strap on cage, strap on bottle kind of mount or feed bags, which we'll talk about later. So there's always a way to carry water. Um, racks, mounting points, you know, Dallas has racks on his bike. So you have to have a spot to mount the rack, right? Um, my bike, there is no real rack mounting points. So I use a bike pack and bag. Um, yeah, and if the, if the bike doesn't have mounting points, there's um, options where you can mount to the axle. I know Tailfin 
is a brand that makes those. I know the, um, is it the rubber axle project? Rubber axle project and old man mountain rack, you know, like the Elkhorn rack, for example, they make, they make it so you can hook right to the axle of the bike. So you can make your full suspension bike have racks. So another, you know, a full suspension mountain bike is probably the hardest one in the bike camping scene to carry your stuff on. You have a rear swinging, you know, rear axle moving, and then you have usually a shock inside the frame, taking up all your space and you have a front suspension, right? So how the hell do I mount shit to that? Right? Well, bags, racks that are like Robert Axel, Robert Axel project. Um, but even if you don't have mounting points on your bike, you can strap bags to it. Yeah. When you're getting into bike packing bikes and you're just looking at all these new bikes in the category and you know, the marketing is definitely there. They're marketing this bike for adventure and bike paying bikes. So you start to see some of these where it has all the mounting bolts everywhere. And I could mount stuff to this whole thing. Um, and people could get really excited about that and be like, Oh, I want that bike. Cause look, I can mount anything everywhere. But, but to your point, you can pretty much find, uh, options for bags and stuff with any bike. It can be cool when you see bikes, um, that do have some of those mounting options, but it also comes down to what you're actually going to use and the overall function of it. But just know that there's bags out there and you, you can tailor your setup to specifically be your bike. So I wouldn't necessarily pick a bike just because of the mounting options it has. If there's other reasons you might want a bike that take priority over that. And, and if you are going to decide what kind of style of bike touring or bike packing you're doing, like if I'm going to be that bike packer, like I'm going to have a tail bag, frame bag, you know, and fork leg bags. So you'd want to make sure you get a fork that has mounts on it. Like, like most surleys or salsas, you know, or any bike packing bike or touring bike will have mounts on the fork. So you can bolt bags to your fork legs. Um, and I always find it funny because when I build like the Krampus that I'm working on right now, I take off all these bolts that come on this bike and you seriously have like, wow, there's like a lot of weight and just bolts that come, you know, 28 bolts or something on the bike. So you think about what kind of riding do I want to do? What kind of bike do I want to get? What kind of bike packing style or bike touring style am I going to be? If I'm going to be the guy that wants to have panniers and go road touring down the coast, I'm going to lean towards a bike. You know, you're going to have to go towards a bike that has the mounting stuff for front and rear racks, you know, either be it like low rider panniers on the front fork. Right. Um, but at the same time, my road bike is not designed for touring. It's a cyclocross bike and I've adapted racks and a front basket to it. So you can literally make any bike that you have carry your, your gear. I'm a big proponent of uh, making it look as goofy as possible because at least then people look at you and go, how in the hell is that happening? You yeah. know, but for that. Well, and, and then here's another thing, mounting points. Okay, so what if you wanted to mount a trailer? Okay. And you have a bike like Al's that is not designed for hauling a trailer. It has a horizontal rear-facing dropout with a through axle, right? So, like, where you're supposed to hook the trailer is just wanting to pull your, your axle out of the back of the bike. So, you can give up and say, I'm not going to carry a trailer. Or you can make custom plates that tie into the axle and all the mounting points on the bike that have the bob trailer mounts. So, you can take a bob trailer on a new version of a Surly Party Monkey. The more options you have, the better. You'll find something or make something that will work for you. Uh, or you'll have somebody make something that'll work for you. Um, I was able to adapt uh, my trailer, which I thought was going to be, oh, this is the way to go. Because I came from a touring perspective and a, on the road. Hey, those trailers are great on the road. Sometimes those trailers get heavy in the dirt. You know, the, uh, so I'm kind of going away from the trailer. I will break out the trailer for special events when we, we do something like that. That, you know, makes people look and say, what the hell is he doing there? But that was just because I used a special, you know, custom one-off rack 
that uh onto existing uh, mount points on on the back of that karate monkey. Uh, I'd have to go on a different route if I wanted to do that, um, and it didn't have those mounts. So the mounting points gives you options. Um, you know, you can ignore them entirely and still go as if you had none. Uh, if that's the route you want to go. Definitely. Uh, we've talked uh, about a lot of things here today, uh, covered a lot. And so if you're listening and you're interested in bike camping and you've, you already have a bike or you're thinking about looking into a bikepacking bike, that's what the starter pack series is all about. We're, we're hoping to get more of you out here joining us or, and you're part of the world. Um, just trying some stuff out, uh, just getting started. And so we're going to have this ongoing series. We might have other episodes in between. So this will be ongoing. All these episodes will be titled Starter Pack and each one will have their own category. Um, But if you're liking this podcast, please be sure to leave a review, rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying it. Leave a comment if you're uh, listening or watching on YouTube. And we just want to welcome you to the party. We hope you, you know, are enjoying the discussion and learning along the way. And we still have stuff to learn. And if you have questions, if you have feedback, bring it up, you know, comment, and uh, we'll look it over. And maybe we'll even talk it over on the next episode. So it's it's been fun to see uh, the feedback we've been already getting and uh, just hearing that people are either wanting to join us or just feeling more excited to uh, try this out. And that's what we're doing this for. We just uh, want to share, um, you know, this hobby that we have and this um, excitement and passion and just, you know, we're having fun with this. We know how much we've learned over the years in doing it. And so we just hope to share that experience with others. And even if there's one other person out there that, you know, gets into this from our discussions, we think that's pretty awesome. I'm sure it'll be way more than that. But, um, you know, it's just fun to be able to meet people like you, like, you know, we just met this year and now we're doing this. So it's been cool to just see that happen. Yeah. We really wanted to show that you could ride your bike and do it your way, your style. I mean, obviously we're, we're talking all about the adventure side of cycling, Um, but just go ride your bike and have fun. Don't fall into a category. Even if we're talking about bike camping, you know, that's, you can make your own category up. You can call whatever you want. And do it your style and just have fun. Um, Can we call it bike chilling? Bike chilling? Yeah, sure. Bike chilling. I go bike chilling all the time. Yeah. I I thought we were calling it bike curious. (laughs) Sorry, y'all. We were calling it bike curious. I'm always bike curious. Uh, um, I think one thing that's fun, though, is the starter pack. Uh, So I run Band and Bicycle Works. Dallas is bike camp and chill. And um, we decided to join forces realizing that we both kind of had the same goal on trying to uh, promote uh, uh, cycling and be bicycle advocates. So I asked Dallas here if he would take over a position of a media ambassador for Bannon Bicycle Works and uh, and kind of help us as a new business build media stuff and kind of go down that path. But also the most part is working together and helping each other go this whole thing venture cycling riding your bike on the southern oregon coast area super fun it's been fun and great and uh the starter pack is going to be a great thing great project for me and dallas that the viewer the person trying to get into bike camping or trying to kind of hone their bike camping style or or knowledge um can really benefit off of yeah, I'm excited to to work on this with you guys, um, you know, help the bike shop. And I think the part that I appreciate and I think, you know, others that'll come to know you and, and what we're doing as a group, you know, yeah, you are a bike shop in the area and you are a business, but you're not trying to just straight be a salesman and, and, and um, you know, have that whole vibe. Like, yeah, you're selling bikes, you're selling services, you'll, you'll help people, you'll provide advice. But at the same time, you're all about like telling those same people, Hey, 
join us and let's go have some fun and and showing them how to do that i grew up in the bike shops and i truly believe in the traditional bike shop a bike shop builds its bike community more and more bike shops today it's just about selling you product that's all that it's about it's a store they shouldn't even call it a bike shop call it a bike store you go in there to buy it and that's it we're trying to get people to ride with us we're trying to have fun build a bike community you know i moved to an area that is still being developed in the bike scene so i could be part of developing the bike scene i can't wait to the day to look back on this years later and to see what it looks like different am i going to see like people riding by every day with frame bags that'd be freaking awesome right but uh, it's just about building it and having fun and uh we live a, a bike life ride bikes work on bikes talk about bikes and that's all that really matters we don't worry about everything else a lot of people are caught up in current affairs right and we're like well shit let's go for a bike ride yep i think i'll just throw this out there you know you're gonna find out real quick that i'm not taking everything too darn serious but if you ask questions i will do my best to answer questions uh and more importantly if you have suggestions i love suggestions because i'm gonna learn something uh either even by answering questions or what works for me i'm all about that because i've learned every time i've gone out something from somebody else so shoot us some questions yep hell yeah cool guys well i appreciate you taking the time and joining me and i think we have filled this episode with a, a lot of information so i hope people find it useful and uh we'll see you on the next one later later thanks guys